Welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, a muggle with a lot to say, Tasita Gant, an over-talking, fandom-loving, binge-watching podcaster who is here to talk not only about her show, Let's Talk Fandom, and her new one coming up, Into the Tavern, but also an array of crushes from one of the only fandoms I think could battle Star Wars, and that's Harry Potter. Tazita, how are you? I am so good. I am so excited to be on this podcast because <laughs> I have yet to like talk, like divulge deeply into my Harry Potter crushes, um, and there are many <laughs> of them uh, throughout my time within the Harry Potter universe. Um, but I'm just like so excited to be here with you. I had such a great time when we recorded on my podcast that like when you invited me onto yours, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah, and new season, Pin 15, which is what we talked about, December 3rd on Hulu. And it looks so good. It looks like I'm going to cry the entire season. But we're just going to get to it. You kind of sent me like a timeline. So I kind of went with the yeah. ages and we're going to just we're just gonna follow this kind of journey you had okay it was a journey yeah so your mom actually got you hooked on harry potter she was reading to you as a little kid but once you hit a certain age you were like mom i got this i could do this myself and that's when you started to develop your first harry potter crush and it's on my harry potter crushes from the movies and that is those weasley twins in book form what made them your ideal crushes so like growing up it was my mom my brother and i and both my brother and i are adopted uh from separate parts of the world and we came you know to the u.s and uh that plays kind of along into my other crushes for the movies but when it came to like the weasley family as a whole like growing up and like just kind of having different forms of entertainment and media in my life, I realized that I gravitated towards a lot of those families that had a lot of children in it. So like, I really got hooked into the Brady Bunch. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I really loved Family Matters. Um, so when it came to like the Weasleys as a whole in the book, I like, I fell in love with Molly Weasley. I really, really enjoyed Percy Weasley in the first few books. We all know he became a little wild later. <laughs> but like Fred and George to me were like, not only the ideal brothers, but like the idea of having people like that in my life was amazing and like insane and like i wanted someone who was like wild and a little crazy and silly but like still understood like where the line was and so i think like reading about kind of the relationship of the twins with each other it really kind of gave me this sense of just like they're kind of perfect and amazing and I really gravitated towards that and being around like nine or ten at the time that seems like an age when we're in school those kind of like wild silly rambunctious people are like who catch our eyes so I wanted to know like did you like anybody in real life that kind of mirrored Fred and or George oh I didn't even make this connection 
But yes, I think it was around third or fourth grade. Potentially, there were these twins that came to our school and their names were Griffin and Devin. I won't say their last names, but they were twins and they were fraternal twins. But like, I kind of had a crush on both of them. Um, But I was in class with Griffin. Um, So I got to know him a lot more and like there was like a crush that developed. And then when I learned he had a twin, I think I kind of like liked him a little more because of that, which I don't know if that's shallow. Well, twins kind of always seem a little magical too. Going with Harry Potter. I know they weren't wizards or anything, but it just does seem like we had a couple twins in our school growing up. We had some, we all, they were always fraternal and it was still, you're like, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even in elementary school, we had a set of female twins that were identical. And like, I didn't spend too much time around them, but when I did get to see them like at recess, it was always like, that whole thing of like oh who am i talking to and like how do i distinguish which one is which one is which and um i think because i had those like real life experiences with identical female twins i really enjoyed i think it was especially in the first book when harry is like first at the barrier with the weasleys and there's that like banter between uh george and molly weasley and of just like oh how can you not like know your own son and it was very funny and to me it was just like that's so relatable in the most like distant way for me now i need to know how you went pretty quickly well kind of the same age from the weasleys to serious flat while we're still in the book we haven't gotten to her first movie crush yet right yeah the books were pretty intense for me with serious black i think it was because of the way that jk rowling like described him he was kind of described as this very like scraggly, um, dirty, kind of uh, greasy, outwardly appearing gentleman. But it wasn't really until towards the end. And even, um, I think even when Hermione, Ron and Harry were in the pub and they overheard, cause you know, Harry's under his cloak and he overhears um, some of the professors and the adults talking about Sirius Black and kind of his relationship with Harry's parents. They talk about, there's like small moments when they talk about him when he was at school and how he was very handsome and he was kind of a ladies man or yeah, yeah, a ladies man. And um, even just like that was very like, okay, he kind of plays by his own rules and he's kind of a bad boy. And he was very much like a looker, but he also like didn't coincide with his family who were all Slytherins. I don't know. I just think the whole like idea of someone like this. And I think I also really gravitated towards the idea of like misconceptions of someone because we were still introduced to Professor Lupin and there were a lot of like mislike interpretations of him. And it's really not at least for me until the fifth book that I like fully understood the relationship between Lupin and Sirius Black and just knowing more about him and kind of his time with Lily and James I think it just made it more attractive to me I was also like in a time where I was very attracted to older men we'll get to that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that but you said like how JK Rowling she like described these characters Mm all serious black was it kind of like like a YA version of a romantic novel in a way Um, I don't know if it was that because I never really had a sensation of like, oh, I'm going to meet them or like, oh, I want to meet them or be a part of that. Granted, my friends and I in elementary school 
had many, many days after school where we would come to my place and pretend like we were in the wizarding world. Um, but it was never of like a interaction with those characters. So for me, it really wasn't until high school, and I think we mentioned this in the episode that we did on my podcast with Pen15, about how I was pretty, I, I wouldn't say the word prude, but I was very- um, Button up. Yeah, but like unknowing and unsure mm. about kind of like what it meant to be like with someone and also like if you wanted to be with someone. And I do think it's because of just like the household I was in and like a lot of what I saw with my brother and he was you know a few years older than me. So I did see kind of his own relationships. And so it was never really an understanding for me of like, oh, I want to be in that situation with this person. A lot of it was just kind of imaginary and in my head. And I think that's why I really liked movies and books and comic books so much because it was already a story that was planned and plotted out. And I could read it and kind of think about it and imagine it, but I never had to put myself in those situations of, you know, am I sexy enough? Am I pretty enough? Like, how do I interact with them? Because I really, really wasn't interacting with guys that I was attracted to beyond the, like, uncomfortable awkwardness. And another thing with, like, how she was describing Sirius Black, like, I'm not a big fiction reader because, like, when I do read fiction, I'm really slow because all I, like, dive into, like, little things here and there. Same. I'm like, oh, you know, they wore green shorts. So I sit there and I think for an hour what the green shorts would look like. Like, I'm so slow at reading. But I want to know when a few years later when Gary Oldman stepped into the role, were you disappointed in how he looked? Was that kind of how you were imagining him? Um, I actually, okay, so I'm really happy you asked this because it took me a really long time to understand reading. And I say that in the sense of like, very much like you mentioned, I was a very slow reader. And I don't think it was because of the imagination aspect of it, but it was just because I had a really hard time like grasping meanings and words. And so I'd like reread a lot of things. So it'd get kind of frustrating, but the beauty of reading, and I think a lot of people can think of this is you get to imagine what people look like and what kind of these things are and how they come. But I was so young when the first movie came out. And so I think by the time that it got to the Prisoner of Azkaban and I really kind of saw who they decided Sirius Black was going to be, I, I wasn't very disappointed because to me it was, I already knew who they, whoever they were going to choose was going to be different than who I imagined. And so I kind of had to come to grips with that. And I think that's why I gave you a lot of like book version, movie version to kind of distinguish kind of like this might be more because of the personality and more of like the situations that they were in and more of the images that I saw versus the actual character, um, the actual you know, actor or actress's appearance and the way that they portrayed that character. I think that there is a big distinction between the two and so I wasn't disappointed but it definitely changed kind of my romantic views and like opinions physically when it came to like actually seeing him on screen. Well that is a perfect segue because we are on our Hogwarts journey and we are at the first film crush which is none other than Harry Potter himself. <laughs> you noted this was just sort of because you were like the same age but looking back like was it physical at all with little Daniel Radcliffe? I mean 
no tea, no, I mean, no shade, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe in the first we one. Love, we love you, Daniel. It's weird because I don't think I thought much about the physical appearance, like appearance of Daniel Radcliffe because I had these kind of like, you know, small likeliness to the actual book character of Harry Potter. So what I basically mentioned um, about the movie version of Harry Potter is the reason why I had a crush on him was because my mom bought me the VHS set when I was around 11. And so viewing it for the first time, Daniel Radcliffe was supposed to, you know, appear and be 11 years old as Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And for some reason to me that was like, oh my God, I'm 11, he's 11, this is perfect. I think that's amazing. And like, as I got older and really thought about it, it it wasn't just that. It was also that like he was put into a situation of like maybe not the best household for him. And so for me, it was like, okay, so he's kind of been adopted by his aunt and uncle and I was adopted. So that's another similarity. And for me, it was like um, he had a way of like escaping his home and kind of going to an area that was just a lot better for him. And then I ended up going to boarding school and it was like, okay, so that's kind of another similarity where we had. So I think for me, it was more of like the journey of the character and witnessing, like physically witnessing kind of these similarities that he was going through that I was also going through. I think it made me feel like I had a connection with this movie character that for some reason I didn't feel with the book character. And that is like a really good thing. I think your boarding school mirroring his Hogwarts experience. And then now I feel bad because I'm going to ask you, was it weird when he did the nude Broadway play? Oh my God. Were you like... Well, because, like, if I think back to, like, my crush at 11, like, GTT, Devin Sawa, if, like, I got to be in my probably, like, 20s or so, and they were like, we're going to show our pee-pee on stage, I'd be like, ah, what? No. I'd be, I don't know how I feel. Yeah, um, I did watch it, and it, it definitely hit different because I think, and I... I think that a lot of people kind of who grew up within this Harry Potter magical era, I have like a special love for a lot of the characters that were in the films. And I think because I read the books as well, it gives me kind of like a deeper understanding of the story, but also like of the actual characters that they're playing. So by the time that kind of he was doing these things that, you know, 11 me would be appalled and terrified <laughs> about, you know, now being older and kind of understanding the world as well as like understanding that like Daniel Radcliffe is not Harry Potter, understanding the separation. It lets me like appreciate it. And I think he is fantastic. And I love him as like, as Daniel Radcliffe. And I've watched a lot of other things that he's been a part of that I adore. I think he's an incredible actor, but I no longer have those feelings of like lust and excitement when, like like I did when I saw him on the actual screen. All right, so that was 11. And now some things are starting to change for you. I feel like from an outsider's perspective, that's what I got from this next crush because we go from the sweet soul that is Harry Potter to like the villain. <laughs> that is Draco Malfoy. So was this crush a reaction to all the teen angst you might have been feeling at 13? I mean, maybe. It really could have been. But those boys that I mentioned before, um, the two twins from my elementary school days of Griffin and Devin Harper, they were both kind of like the clowns of 
or at least Griffin was the clown of our class. So he was kind of always getting in trouble. And also like around that time that I was like witnessing Draco Malfoy. And I, I think my crush on him really did start like in the second one, especially like with him in the Quidditch robes. I don't know what it did for me, but I thought it was amazing. Also, like, green is my favorite color. So I just thought that, like, anyone who wore green was just, like, amazing. But the actual, like, actor himself, I found so attractive. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And I don't think it was until after the fifth film came out that I realized that he, like, wore a wig. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You learn something new every day. I did not. Well, yeah, I guess bleaching your hair that blonde yeah. would be a lot of damage. So I think, like, when I realized that and I was like, oh, and, like, I Googled actual, like, photos of Tom Felton himself and, like, realized that he had, like, this kind of, like, more dirty blonde hair that was more brown than blonde. Um, it just made me love him even more. And even now, like, <laughs> I follow him on TikTok and on Instagram and I'm just like, you're so pretty. And yeah, my, my crush for Tom Felton has always reigned true, but I think it's more for the actor physically. But that being said, um, and I, I mean, if you guys haven't read Harry Potter, I would say spoiler alerts, but also like it's been out forever. Yeah. <laughs> but once I got to boarding school, which is like around middle school, I started reading all of the Harry Potter books. Um, like once they all came out, I would read all of them every winter I was home for break because it was kind of like an escape for me. Mm-hmm. So I read them a lot. I think I stopped reading all of them once I got to college. But I had a lot of these feelings of like uh, like sympathy for the actual character of Draco Malfoy in the aspects of like he kind of didn't know any better and it's the same feelings that I have for Dudley Dursley um, which was uh, Harry Potter's cousin in the aspects of like they're both raised in these families as an only child and are kind of like manufactured to have the same views as their parents and so it was really along the lines of like the fifth book that I understood a lot of kind of and I assume of what J.K. Rowling was trying to explain about it really depends on the way that you're brought up and really depends on like who you surround yourself with. And so categorizing Draco Malfoy as a villain to me was never the right category. It was more of like someone who was born and brought up by a family that saw a specific way. And because of that, he ended up kind of being on the opposite side of kind of our hero. Kind of goes back to your crush on Sears Black and Mm -hmm. then um, Remus Lupin because you like this misconception. (laughs) I really do. And like, and it's funny because it's almost like me as a child knows this before it's going to (laughs) happen. And then it like comes out that like, you know, in, I think it was in the sixth book, right? The Half-Blood Prince, when Harry walks in on Draco Malfoy in the bathrooms crying. And it's like, it's such a heartbreaking moment. At least for me, it was such a heartbreaking moment to read the first time because it's kind of the first aspects that you see of Malfoy being emotional and like being kind of true to himself. And then again, like up in the tower, with, um, you know, kind of Harry down below and Albus Dumbledore before he dies. It's just these, like, you see the internal struggle that Draco has with this man that he is supposed to hate and supposed to be very 
mm, I don't know if he's supposed to be envious of, but also like Albus Dumbledore has been the one to help him and to be there and to like be a positive person. So it's it's really heartbreaking for me to see a character everyone deems to be bad when I don't think that's exactly what the answers are. Those misconceptions. And that <laughs> leads us to, again, you're around 13. Now Remus Lupin's in the picture. Gary Oldman's character playing Sirius Black. Let's get back to that infatuation with older men. What's going on? I was such a wild kid. <laughs> like, I think I had crushes on, like, everyone that, like, looked at me. <laughs> like, it was wild. But especially when it came to the, the actual actor of Remus Lupin, it was, like, I don't know what it, like, this skinny, scraggly kind of mess of a man was just <laughs> what I wanted, I guess? like tiny me it was absolutely crazy but i found him to be so attractive and i also think that the kind of the character traits of a mentor are very attractive to me growing up i had a lot of specific people either in boarding school or in college that were mentors to me and i mean and i i can say this now because i don't talk to them anymore <laughs> uh, but in college the advisor that i had um like i found myself like I don't think it was a full-on attraction, but I definitely found myself like with butterflies when I would talk to them. And I mean, now thinking about them, I don't think I found them attractive, but the idea of like wanting to be there for me and wanting to mentor me and wanting to be like a positive person, I think that alone was very attractive to me. And so seeing the relationship between Lupin and Harry, I think hit really hard for me. And I think to me that was like, oh, okay. Like, I must think that they're attractive. And it was very similar with Sirius Black towards the end of um, The Prisoner of Azkaban. We're gonna go from Remus Lupin to another character. You seem to like Neville before he became a whole verb and he long bottomed yeah. into the thirst trap that we love and know today. You don't even have to know Harry Potter to know this character because of BuzzFeed making tons of lists about this man's transformation. Oh, yes. Do you think that he does look better now? Well, it's interesting um, because, again, I don't know how many people like... I'm a very big Harry Potter fan, um, so I have watched a lot of like director stuff and like behind the scenes stuff and all of that good stuff. You know, when they do that uh, 25 Days of Christmas on mm. ABC Family, they do the extended versions. They don't just do the movie versions. So in actuality, like Neville Longbottom on film doesn't exactly look the same as as the character Matthew Lewis growing up. Um, he did have to wear a fat suit. So I do know that that was, I think it was like in the first film, he was quite heavy and I think that was kind of more of his form. But as it went on, I do know that he had to like wear a suit that was bigger. So by the time that it got to like the Deathly Hallows and even I think even in the Half-Blood Prince with uh, Dumbledore's army, I think maybe he was like starting to kind of, as people would say, like go through puberty and really kind of blossom into this uh, kind of hunk of a man we know of now. But I think it was around like the fourth and fifth film that I learned about this. And so I started Googling more about Matthew Lewis, the actual actor. And like, physically, I was like, holy, you're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But also like the character of Neville Longbottom, especially in the fifth book, in the fourth and the fifth book, you learn a lot about him and his parents. 
and kind of his family situation. And again, with Ramus Lupin, you see a very small amount of mentorship with Neville Longbottom. And then again, in the fourth film and book, you see a little bit of like, I don't know if it'd be mentorship when it came to uh, Mad-Eye Moody, because obviously it's not the real one, but you see kind of more of Neville and kind of like who he is. And so I think getting that gradual understanding of who he was and kind of why he was, and like something I hate so much about the movie when it came to his aunt, was you just don't see how disappointed his aunt is in him because she expects him to be so much like his father. And it's just so heartbreaking to see someone like that just doesn't have that support system. And so seeing him find that support system with his friends, again, to me was just very attractive. And like seeing him be his like himself and his own person was amazing, especially when it came to the sixth, I think it was, the fifth, or I think it was in the sixth book um, and even in the sixth film with Dumbledore's army. And you see him kind of like gain this confidence. And I think that's why I found him so attractive was because he really kind of like comes to himself, but also just like, he's so beautiful. Another confident character is we're going to go into right now, about 15, 16, he started to like Hermione and how do you say this? Parvati? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Parvati, uh, Parvati. Yeah. When the crush on Hermione first started to develop, did it start as one of those like, oh, man, I wish I could be like their best friend? Did it get romantical? Because right now, I don't know. Do you watch Big Mouth on Netflix? I, I love Big Mouth. Have you started the... the oh, I finished season? it. Oh, yes. Oh, I haven't finished it yet. But you oh. know, like with Jesse and Allie at first, the love mm -hmm. bug's like, oh, it's like a, you want to be their best friend. Was it like that at first? So so it's interesting because it wasn't like that for me. Obviously, I read the books. Um, so when I read the books, I found Hermione to be such a standout character to me, not because she was like one of the main three characters, but school, like school itself was very hard for me. I wasn't the best, kind of like I mentioned, I wasn't the best like reader. Um, it took me a really long time to like comprehend some things. And so it took me a long time kind of of my own life to understand that like I am good at school. I just have to find a way for me to be good at it. And I'm not sure where your listeners are, but in the US, I mean, our schooling system just does not help those who do not learn in the atypical specific way. Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard to find schools that can. And so that's why I started going to boarding schools. But when it came to Hermione Granger, I was enthralled with a character that didn't come from the wizarding world and was muggle born and put even more effort into being the best. And I don't even think it was initially of her wanting to be the best, potentially of just like not wanting to be seen as less than because she was muggle-born. And so something I've talked about on my podcast alone is I think it was around like the first or second film that I like talked to my mom and was like, I, I see Hermione Granger as a role model to me. And my mom very kind of finately sta stated that like, you know, you can't have a fictional character be a role model. And that hurt me a lot growing up. And I didn't understand why that could be. And so as I grew up, and especially when I got into high school and I understood like 
how to be a good student and how to learn in a way that's best for me. I found myself being a lot like Hermione in the essence of like, I want to be the person that knows the answers and I want to be the one that people can kind of turn to and know that I would know these specific ways and uh, regulations and just have knowledge and not feel that I needed someone else to depend on to have that knowledge. And so I think that crush started around the time of the third book, but I don't think I fully realized why. And it really wasn't until I think it was like the fifth film that I like fully recognized of like, oh, not only like do I see myself as her, but like she's also just like so smart and so beautiful. And then Emma Watson herself is just incredible and is very, to me, very similar to Hermione Granger in the sense of like, just so smart and like so there for other people and so I think that's kind of like how it all started and kind of crescendoed and did you see yourself in Parvati too or was that a different reasoning oh no that was all physical she was (laughs) so beautiful (laughs) oh my god and I was like you are a gorgeous lady hello (laughs) cue Adele hello (laughs) yes (laughs) one thing I noticed about Hogwarts Harry Potter there's not a lot of black and brown kids in the wizarding world that I saw at least and with that we're at our last Potter crush and that's Dean Thomas and for me I didn't have a lot of crushes growing up that weren't white maybe that had to do with the the media I was watching and plus there was like maybe two black boys in my entire elementary school they were obviously when I got to middle school the town over had it but I was just like not exposed to it so I want to know what about you? Was Dean like one of your first like black crushes or? So yeah, so it's actually, uh, I love that you brought that up because I was very similar and I've noticed that kind of even throughout my life now is a lot of the crushes that I've had have been tall white men. And I do think, and you know, I've thought internally a lot about this and I do think it is because the relationship that I had with my brother was so toxic that it really kind of gave me this negative view of him as well as like it made me very fearful of I think a lot of men like him and I think the stereotype of like aggressive black men fit very well with my brother who had a lot of anger management issues who later on we discovered that he um, is bipolar and has schizophrenia so I think growing up with that it gave me these very finite fears and and I don't think I realized that for a very long time Um, and I think because of that I just I don't even think it registered to me of of not finding someone who is so opposite of that attractive. Also, like, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there just, like, aren't a lot of, like, people of color. Um, I I just drove through there. We did move to the East Coast, (laughs) and it was, I'm, no, no shame, maybe, you know, maybe there's fine people there, but it was my least favorite stop. I I can understand. It's a big reason why I left. Um, And, like, my mom is white. And so like growing up, I didn't get a lot of experiences with other black people. Um, I mean, I think my mom tried the best she could. We did go to like a few festivals and we did go to um, a few, like we went to like uh, adoption retreats. So there were like 
families and kids from all over the world. But like, it wasn't enough, clearly. So right now we're going to take a little step away and we're going to play a little game. Well, it's, it's our rapid fire Harry Potter edition. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Okay, I'm so nervous. <laughs> They're really easy. Uh, so your favorite Harry Potter book? Oh, um, oh, God. Favorite Harry Potter book. Okay, rapid. Um, I think would be The Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. And your least favorite Harry Potter movie? Ooh, least favorite. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I think that, I do think that The Order of the Phoenix and, I would, no, I would say The Half-Blood Prince is, is the worst movie because you get so little information about uh, Snape. All right, a spell you wish you could do? Uh, Levy Corpus, which is levitating people. And our last rapid fire, the house you know you belong to. Okay, so <laughs> I know rapid fire, but <laughs> when I took the Pottermore quiz many, many moons ago, it said Hufflepuff. And then when I took it my senior year of college, it said Ravenclaw. Granted, I understand that people like grow. I personally would say <laughs> Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you kind of check every few years to see how you're developing as a person. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm not a Slytherin. Oh, I think I'm always a Gryffindor when I take those. I can understand that. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And another game we like to play around here is Fuck, Mary Kill. And we're going Ooh. to do that with Harry, Hermione, and Draco. Malfoy. <gasps> like, okay, wait. The characters or the actors? We're going to go with the the characters. Okay. So the characters, oh, God. Um, okay. So I'm going to shove would... the actors' pictures, though. So we'll oh, go with yes. the actors. <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, okay. So the actors. Okay. So the actors. Oh, God. Um, I, yeah, I think it would kind of still be the same thing. Um, so I would probably marry Emma Watson. I would, oh, God. I would. I don't know how, how peachy this show is. You can say whatever I, you want. I would... Oh, God. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would fuck Tom Felton, and I would kill Daniel Radcliffe. Ooh, Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort? That's what? you. You keep trying to kill him. <laughs> oh, oh, no. My Voldemort. <laughs> oh, no. But I see that. So now... Perhaps it's Hermione, but it's time to head to Hogwarts and imagine your life with one of the Harry Potter crushes we talked about. Who would you choose to spend your life with and how do you imagine your lives would be like together? Um, for the character or the actor? The character. Okay, so easy. I would definitely have to marry one of the Weasley twins. Probably, um, probably George because, spoiler alert, Fred dies. Bum, bum, bum. Um, yeah, very <laughs> sad. Um, yeah, I would probably want to marry into the George Weasley family because I would be a Weasley. It'd be your dream. Like, it would literally be my dream, and I would have Molly as a, <laughs> as like a, a mother-in-law. I'd be super happy. I'd get to know Bill and Fleur so much better. I'd get to beat the crap out of Percy, even though he comes around. Uh, but then I would also like still get to know the rest of the gang because Harry is married to Ginny and. And Hermione is married to Ron. So I think it would just work out so well. You'd be their in-laws. Yeah, I'd be their in-law and hopefully their best friends. Well, a full circle moment. So now it's time to talk more about fandoms and D&D. 
Let's Talk Fandoms is a show where you talk about fandoms. <laughs> and I've been on, we said, I talked about Pin15 and you've done an array of others. But what was like the first fandom you ever felt a part of? Knowingly, I think the first fandom I really felt a part of, I think, was the Harry Potter fandom. Um, and I think it was because it wasn't just a fandom that I really liked, but like... There were other kids that I went to school with that also lived within the same kind of, you know, few blocks where we could all talk so much about it with each other. Um, I think I mentioned before that, like, I had friends after school. We would walk, like, we would walk home from school, come to my house and pretend like we were in the wizarding world. And, like, that happened many, many a days and so much fun. My mom ended up getting us like different Harry Potter, uh, different wands. And so we got to choose different wands and um, I ended up getting Hermione's wand and another friend got Tonks's wand. So it was a lot of fun. And I think that was kind of like the first fandom that I knew that I was a part of before I knew the term fandom. Now thinking back on it though, I do think that like the first fandom per se I was a part of was all dogs go to heaven <laughs> um, okay. and that's just like i didn't at the time i didn't realize just how religious it was <laughs> but i had um we had a family friend that it was like a mom and a dad and then they had two sons and then it was you know my mom and then my brother and i and the kids we were all two years staggered apart so me and the youngest son quinn were really good friends and we would have sleepovers at like each other's houses and we would always make sure that our sleepovers were Saturday nights so that on Sunday mornings, we would always wake up at 7 a.m. and watch All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh my God. <laughs> it was a ritual for us. So I think that was like the first, first one that I, I think I was ever a part of. And when did you decide to take this love of fandoms and create a podcast from it? We were like, hmm, I really need a place to talk about All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yes. Oh God. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think it started well before the actual podcast i i had a person i can't really call them a friend but i had someone who like kind of forcibly made me a tumblr account and they like you know made me follow them and i was like i don't really know what to do on this it was my first laptop i didn't really understand what was going on but as i got kind of older i i made you know i had the main account but then i ended up making multiple other accounts or like uh, pages on it that were dedicated to specific fandoms so i had one that was for harry potter one that was for Teen Wolf. I had like another one that was like just for actors themselves. You know, I'd post, I'd post pictures. I'd sometimes like write like my own little stories about them. Um, especially with the Harry Potter one, I'd always write like uh, behind the scenes stuff because that was when I was first learning about it. And then when I got to college, my sophomore year, I started an organization with some friends, and it was called Fandom Society. Um, so that was kind of like my first real kind of engrossment into fandom culture. And that organization is still going on at Frostburg State University. So if you guys want to like look it up, there are lots of photos of there. Um, I was the president for three years. Um, absolutely amazing. And then after college, I moved to Minnesota, spent a year there, came back home to help family. And I was really sad that I like wasn't talking to friends. And it was because of that and like with quarantine that I had friends that suggested like you should record us talking when we have our like weekly talks and just put it up as a podcast. And me being me, I was like, no one's going to listen to that. 
Like, what are you even talking about? Like, fully forgetting that I did a whole organization. And that was kind of like the birth of the podcast. And I don't think I took it very seriously when I first started, but like now it's amazing and it's fantastic. And I get to meet so many people from all over the world and have, I mean, the most fun conversations. Like I never thought I'd be talking about my Harry Potter crushes. And this is amazing. This is what I want to do with my life. That would be (laughs) such a cool club to have at a school. I mean, it's amazing. If you're a teacher, an educator listening, start it up. There's still, I mean, kids still have fandoms, even though I know they're always on the TikTok and whatever. Oh, God. Somewhere out there, kids falling in love with things. So are there any fandoms that you maybe don't quite understand that you'd love to tackle on the show? Maybe learn a little Hmm. more about. Any fandoms I don't fully understand? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, there are just so many different fandoms. That, I mean, obviously it'd be hard for me to be like, oh, I, I understand all of them. I don't know if there are like specific fandoms that I don't fully understand just because I I try to not be super prejudiced about like, oh my gosh, why do you like that? But there are like concepts within shows that I don't fully understand. So like, and this might be like super, super broad, but today I was watching uh, Squid Game with one of my friends. And I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if someone else, or if your listeners have seen it, but there's a scene where the main character goes into a van. Everyone is like asleep in the van. And um, once he finally gets into the van, they kind of like uh, this gas kind of, st- or this gas uh, comes from the van. And the person who's driving it like puts on a gas mask. And I fully don't understand how gas masks work. <laughs> and like, I know that's not a fandom thing. <laughs> You're just like, I want the answers. <laughs> but yeah, like, I'm just like, I don't get it. And my friend was telling me, and she was like, well, it's kind of similar to how, like, they use the masks with, like, firefighters. And I was like, yeah, I don't get those either. And she's like, all right, we'll talk about that later. I don't, now that you say it, I don't know how a gas mask works. Exactly. Even. Like, I'm sure that it's something, but it's also, like, I, I just don't, like, how do they breathe? <laughs> uh, I understand that, like, the, uh, the filters there are supposed to like prevent the bad air from getting in, but also like particles are so small. I just, I just don't get it. <laughs> it just baffles me. Well, we're going to move on from that because then I'm going to just be like, well, let me Google it really quick. And you know how that goes. You go to one Wikipedia, you go to a mall. Rabbit hole. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So another show you have coming really soon is Into the Tavern. You're going to do it with some friends from college and it's about Dungeons and Dragons. Is it going to be like the, the lore of the game, the popularity, the play? Like what about So, okay, so I'm super, super excited. We've been working on this for over a year now, and it's been kind of hard, you know, with the pandemic and uh, two of our other uh, co-hosts are like just got married. So it's like me, my friend Grace, who's in Florida, and then Cheyenne and Hunter, who are both in Frostburg, Maryland, but like they just got married, they just got back from their honeymoon. So it was like, oh, good God. But the actual like podcast itself, it's going to be like a typical Dungeons and Dragons adventure campaign. But the story was completely built by Hunter, who's gonna be our DM, uh, which is our dungeon master. and. A majority of the campaign is underwater and so the adventure of it is that the world is um, kind of being taken over by oceans and water and we are the ones to kind of go through it and so 
I'm not sure what the campaign is because I'm one of the characters, uh, but I'm very excited. And we get to be these like anthropomorphic uh, sea creatures. And I've chosen to be my favorite sea creature, which is a jellyfish. <laughs> and I'm so excited and I can't wait. Um, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. We've already recorded season one, which is, I mean, it's my first like true Dungeons and Dragons like full game. Whereas like my other co-hosts have been playing D&D for so long. So I'm I'm super excited. I'm really happy that they wanted to do it with me. Um, it's going to be my second podcast and it we're hoping that it comes out in the summer. And so we're, we're very excited about it. If you want to know more about it, we do have an Instagram, a Twitter. Uh, we also have um, like updates that are going to be going out starting uh, in November. No, November, December, January, February, February, coming out in February. Sounds really exciting. I didn't know that like Dungeons and Dragons could go like off land. This is wild. Right? Yeah, I'm very excited. And I know in season two, we're going to start having um, like guest appearances. Um, so I'm really excited for that. And what fandoms can we expect coming up on Let's Talk Fandom? Ooh, okay. So, so I've, I'm getting close to hitting my one year mark. And I told myself when I started the podcast that after one year, if I hit a specific goal, then I'm going to start talking about topics that were interesting to me when I first started it. So a lot of my episodes right now are very kind of like fun and like a little informative, but I've got a lot of episodes that are in the bank that are coming out in the new year that talk about the sex industry and like the sex work industry. We're talking about OnlyFans. We're talking about like family dynamics and what is a toxic family relationship. We're talking about a, like it, it deals with a lot more grown-up situations. We're doing an episode, we, me, <laughs> we're doing an episode on religion and like what does that look like in media and what is actually being shown uh, we're also doing like commercials and like how do commercials work i have an episode coming about out about cooking and like the different competition cooking shows competition weight loss shows and like what are the toxic environments of that so it's we're going really deep into uh, conversations that might be harder to talk about, but that I think people are thinking about. Do you mention All Dogs Go to Heaven in the religious episode? <laughs> uh, I think I actually, I do, yeah. <laughs> yes, I Yay! <laughs> well, on that note, can you tell people where they can find you online and all your podcasts? So if you're looking for me specifically, um, don't find me because I'm never on my personal stuff. I do have uh, Gantgrams and Tazita Tweets. Gantgrams is Instagram, Tazita Tweets is Twitter. I'm almost never on either of them. I do have Into the Tavern on all platforms, which is on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I think we have a TikTok and we have a Facebook page, um, as well as like the podcast itself. But you know, you can be informed when that drops. And for Let's Talk Phantoms podcast, it is that on all platforms on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on TikTok. Well, Tathita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about the array of Harry Potter crushes you have had since you were 11 years old. And everyone, you can find all of her information below in the description. And until next time, keep crushing it.